Welcome to the Sunset Community Church podcast. You're listening to sermon audio from our Sunday morning services. For more information about Sunset Community Church, visit us online at sunsetcommunity.church. Good morning, church family. My name is Lydia, Lydia Sebuguao, and I will be reading today's scripture. It's from the book of Mark, chapter 11, from verse 27 to 33. They arrived again in Jerusalem, and while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, the court priests, the teachers, and the law, the teachers of the law and the elders came to him. By what authority are you doing these things? They asked. And who gave you the authority to do this? Jesus replied, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I am doing these things. John's baptism, was it from heaven or of human origin? Tell me. They discussed it among themselves and said, if we say from heaven, he will ask, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, they feared the people for everyone held that, for everyone held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. Please welcome Pastor Andreas who preaches the word this morning. Well, it's good to be here. My name is Andrew. If this is your first time at our church, I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, we've been walking through the Gospel of Mark, and today we're going to look at the passage Lydia just read, as well as through verse 12. Um, if you want to know, I was thinking about this uh, in relation to the, the text. If you want to know what you place your hope in, then you, one of the best ways to diagnose that is finding that you are not as in control of your life as you once thought you were. When, you, when each of us find these moments where we, are, we realize we're out of control, then it exposes what our hearts are connected to. And when I realize I'm not in control, that's typically when anxiety is at its highest, um, my fear is at elevated levels. How about you? When, you, when things are not going uh, in your life like you want them to go, like you imagine them to go, like you've tried to set them up to be, how do you respond to that? How does that make you feel? It's a great diagnoser of what we place our hope in. You know, last fall, uh, my brother and his fiancée uh, got married in their dream location on the top of Mount Hood. In fact, they postponed their wedding a year because of COVID so that they could get married on the top of Mount Hood. And uh, now I say last fall, but technically uh, it was, uh, which is technically correct, but it was in November. So Mount Hood in November, which means snow. Uh, and it could be a lot of snow. And so a, a lot of my family growing up on the coast of California were pretty nervous about driving up from California to a mountain in Oregon in November because of that snow. They're not used to driving in the snow. They don't have vehicles that are equipped to drive in the snow. And so there was a lot of conversation in my family about, oh, this is a bad idea. Why did they have to do it on a mountain? Why did they have to do it in the, in the winter? Why, did they have to, why does there have to be snow there? Uh, I wasn't as worried. My family and I moved from uh, 
Northern California uh, 15 years ago. We lived 10 years in eastern Washington where we got snow every year. I had a four-wheel drive car with new tires. I had lots of experience driving in the snow. So as my family was, was kind of stressing out about the potential for snow, I was like, no problem. Not a big deal. Well, sure enough, November comes, the wedding happens, and there is snow on Mount Hood, on the way up to Mount Hood. No, just kidding. This isn't the picture. This is <laughs> it looked like this is the picture. This is Mount Hood. This is taken from the parking lot. The other one, I think, was in Japan somewhere. Um, so, so this is the view, but it was beautiful. The, the, the couple days before the wedding, it had snowed, but it wasn't snowing. You can see the sky was beautiful. The roads were clear. It was great. So the wedding happens. It's a beautiful wedding. It goes on into the night at the lodge up there on the top of Mount Hood. But during the wedding, it starts to snow. Now, my brother's fiance, my sister-in-law, was thrilled. The pictures were amazing. The setting was beautiful. All of my California family was freaking out. Are we going to survive this wedding? Are we going to get back down the mountain after the, after the reception? Around 9.30 at night, uh, me and my brother, uh, we get in my car, and I'm like, no big deal. I said, nobody's coming up the mountain at this time. I'll put it in low gear. We'll just slowly go down the mountain. So we're going down the mountain, 9.30 at night. No problem. Going, navigating turns. I feel comfortable in this. And I go across, I, I come up to one turn in the road, and the thing with four-wheel drive vehicles is, um, they're great in snow, but when you hit ice, all it means is that all four wheels will slide. That's all it means. And so on this particular turn, we had no problems up to this point. I go around the turn very slow, and my car just starts to slowly slide to the side. Now, if you've experienced this before, your heart usually leaps in your throat, and some people just start doing this. But I, I knew not to do that. I knew to turn in, and it's, everything's okay. Well, the one car that decided to come up the mountain at 9.30 at night chose that very moment, that very turn, while I was sliding into their lane. And so my brother goes, oh no! And I see this car coming, and I have two choices. One is to keep pushing the brakes down, which were useless, or to push the gas down and get out of the way. So I push the gas down, we start going to, back into the other lane, kind of spinning tires, and then I ease up and start to gently put the brakes down, and then we start sliding the other way. Four wheels, slide. We come to a rest about six inches from a pole on my side. I could see it right on my side. And my brother's going, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. And I'm like, it's okay. Everything's fine. I said, we didn't, we didn't die. We didn't hit the pole. That was one spot of ice. Let's go. So I put the car back in drive. We start to go down the mountain. I go to lightly tap the brakes. And I realize that my foot went all the, goes all the way to the floor. And then I see a a signal I've never seen on my dashboard before. A big B with, in red. And I realized, oh, my brakes are out. They're not working. Not the thing I wanted to discover going down a mountain in the snow. As confident as I was in driving in the snow, if my brakes don't work, then I'm in trouble. And sure enough, they were completely out. Well, I died that day. No, just kidding. I'm here, obviously, so... <laughs> We made it down the mountain. We made it down the mountain, and my brakes were shot. And I'm not a big car guy, um, so I start texting everybody. And we're in what's called Government Camp, Oregon. 
which if it sounds remote, it is. There's nothing in, there's no auto shops. There's no, not even an auto store in government camp. So that night, I'm thinking my brakes are out. I'm supposed to get home the next day. What am I going to do? In that moment, I realized as confident as I had been in my abilities to drive my vehicle and in my vehicle's abilities to navigate the snow, one thing being broken, my brakes, left me completely powerless. That night, I did what a lot of us do when we find ourselves out of control. Uh, I, I began to think through all of the scenarios of how to regain control. Okay, I, I found out that there was no brake fluid in my car. That's probably why my brakes weren't working. So how can I get more brake fluid in? If it's broken, how can I get it fixed? It's tomorrow's Sunday. Is any place? You start thinking this. I didn't sleep the entire night. I wake up the next morning. I drive to the little general store. They happen to have three canisters in the whole town of brake fluid. I put them in my car, and the brakes work. And I go, hallelujah, let's get home. So me and my brother start driving. Well, the problem was, I found out later, is there was a hole in the brake line. That's why my brakes went out. So that brake fluid just went right out. Ended up driving 40 miles with no brakes, which I don't recommend, to Sandy, Oregon, where I survived. (laughs) So being out of control is never a good feeling. And, And in that moment, I was making deals with God, I was, I, was make, I was trying to figure out how could I repair a brake line with duct tape. I was trying to figure everything out I could. And in the end, I could do nothing to change my situation. I was powerless. How do you feel when you aren't in control? When you're, when you're powerless to just create more money for your bank account. When you're unable to fix the relationships that are broken in your life. When you just can't make life be what you want it to be. All sorts of things happen. Anxiety, fear, manipulation. We try and control by, by, by whatever means necessary what's going on around us. Alongside our desire to be in control, there is also our desire to be in charge. That's part of being in control, right? I am my authority. I can control the situation. And these two things, being in Control and being in authority, they are really high values in our culture. Um, We can't, when I was in high school, I couldn't wait to graduate high school. Why? Because now I was going to be in control. I didn't have to go to school anymore. My parents couldn't make me do anything. I can't wait to graduate high school. We, uh, we get older and then we live for retirement. Why? Because when retirement happens, I am in charge of me. No boss, nothing to dictate my days. Oh man, I'm in charge of me. People love video games. They love video games because we are in charge. We can manipulate what's happening around us with the push of a button. And the worst consequence of all is digital. There's no real world consequence So we love video games for that reason. We love streaming videos for that same reason. Think about, if you're old enough, to remember when you could only watch whatever the TV networks decided was going to be on TV, right? You were powerless to change the schedule or anything else. But now you can go, I don't want to watch that. I want to watch this. I want to watch it on my time with no commercials, whenever, right? These are high values in our culture, to be in control and to be in charge. So if these are truly values of our culture, then it shouldn't be a surprise that, find that when we find that we aren't in control, 
we will often do whatever we can to get back in control. So that's why uh, divorce rates are, are, are at an all-time high because what? It takes two people to be married. And if one person isn't doing what we want, well, then I'm just going to leave them and find somebody else that will do what I want, right? When, when my job isn't treating me like I want, well, there's 100 jobs. I can just go find a new job. We, we call it the great resignation these last couple of years, right? We live in a culture that elevates these values. And I bring this up because one of the primary themes from our text today, from what Lydia just read and what we'll read together in a moment, is this same theme. There were, there's a group of people that were rejecting Jesus because they wanted to be in control. They wanted to be in charge. Now, as we've been walking through the Gospel of Mark, we've seen Jesus interact with all sorts of different people, people that we can relate to. But one group that is kind of always just hanging around Jesus is the religious leaders of the day. And I use that term broadly because Scripture uses that term, but it, it's, a, it's a different makeup of Pharisees and Sadducees and religious zealots and other rabbis. All of these folks are being drawn to Jesus because Jesus is part of their group, yet He's claiming and doing things without their permission. And he's doing things that they'd never seen before. And as the text um, that Lydia just read shows us, this growing authority of Jesus is something that they want to dismantle. They want to take it apart. Now, the, the religious leaders, ima imagine uh, with me for just a moment. In the Jewish culture, the center of the culture was their faith. The synagogue where Jewish believers would gather to worship was the center of society for the culture. So Jewish leaders were very influential, very prominent in the culture. Uh, 100, 150 years ago in our culture, there was a similar idea where the church, where the, the building and the people would be kind of the center of town. A lot of the life that happened, whether it was weddings and funerals and potlucks, would all happen there. Increasingly in our culture now, that's not the case. More weddings happen in a field somewhere. Um, funerals typically happen just uh, quietly with family. So in Jesus' day, the, the Jewish leaders had kind of run of the place. They, they were respected. They had a lot of uh, authority. They got to dictate who got married and, and how things worked in their culture. And then comes Jesus. Then comes Jesus. And we've been walking through Mark for a while, but the very beginning, the very first chapter of, of Mark is Jesus begins to teach. The people recognize something. They said they were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Like right there, right, we see there's a disconnect between these religious leaders who had probably gotten so comfortable in the culture that they were in and their positions of authority and control that they had actually dis been, become disconnected from the power of God's word. And so here is Jesus. He's, he's showing something different. He's teaching as one who had authority. And this authority is, is being... Um, as it's being displayed in Jesus, it's threatening the authority of the religious leaders. The religious leaders were getting and losing control because Jesus was getting more famous. A couple weeks ago, Pastor um, Bob Chin um, talked about the triumphal entry where Jesus rode into Jerusalem with thousands and thousands of people cheering him on. And what were they saying to him? 
Save us now. Like they saw in Jesus something that they had never seen in any leader in that moment. They saw power and authority. So if you were a religious leader, you're going, wait a second. I'm being a little marginalized here. Like people are asking me for that. (laughs) What's going on? So they're clearly threatened. And so they come up to Jesus, but they can't attack him directly. Why? Because the favor of the people is on him. They can't start an insurrection yet because everybody loves Jesus. And so their strategy instead was to publicly ask him tough questions as a way to subtly undermine and manipulate his authority in order to regain what? To regain their authority, to regain their control. And so they asked the question of Jesus, as Lydia just read, trying to get him to define where he's, where he's getting this authority from. And so they ask, what authority are you doing these things? In other words, who's really in control here? And Jesus knew their motives. He wouldn't play their game. And so after the passage Lydia just read, Jesus is about to expose their motives by telling them a pretty horrific story. Like if this story were to, to be de- de- depicted in a, in a movie, it would be rated R for violence. So let's go ahead and read that together, shall we? <laughs> go ahead and open your Bibles to Mark chapter 12, verses 1 through 12. Mark chapter 12, verse 1 through 12. It will not be on the screen, so you can follow along so you know I'm not making it up. Mark chapter 12, verses 1 through 12. So Jesus' authority has just been questioned, but Jesus wouldn't play their game And now he's going to tell a story to illustrate some things. A pretty horrific story. Starting in verse 1. Jesus then began to speak to them in parables and stories. He said, a man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it. He dug a pit for the wine press and he built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants of that vineyard to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. But they seized him, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Then he sent another servant to them. They struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. He sent still another, and that one they killed. He sent many others. Some of them they beat, others they killed. He had one left to send. A son whom he loved. He sent him last of all, saying, They will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read this passage of scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and is marvelous in our eyes. Then the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. But they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. Now, this story would be familiar to the religious leaders and maybe even one that they had taught themselves. You know why? Because the elements of this parable that Jesus just told are very similar to Isaiah chapter 5. 
Isaiah chapter 5. I encourage you to read it later. But Isaiah chapter 5, God is speaking to his people through the prophet, and he says very similar things to the people of Israel. And so Jesus tells this parable using similar elements from Isaiah 5, but he is using this parable as an illustration against the religious leaders. The key difference between Isaiah 5 in this story is that the son of the vineyard comes to make things right. Listen to this again. But the tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. Clearly, the big twist in this story compared to Isaiah 5 is that Jesus is present. He is the son, and the religious leaders are the tenants, tasked with guiding the people, pointing them to the truth of God, preparing them for Jesus' arrival. And so the dramatic moment in this story then comes with the question, if the religious leaders have done this, then what? What then will the owner of the vineyard do? In other words, what happens when the boss shows up? Jesus makes it clear that those who were supposed to be tending to what God had given them were acting in rebellion toward God. Their rebellion and disobedience, their unchecked desire for control and authority would ultimately be their undoing. Now, we read this story, right? It's July 27th, 2022. We live in Renton, far removed from this culture, from the events of this story. The question we might ask ourselves is, how do, can we identify with this story? Uh, what does it mean for us today? Jesus was talking to them, right? Are we in this story, in this parable? You know, when we hear stories of injustice in our world or of moral failings in our leaders, it's pretty easy to disassociate from them. We, we were kind of like voyeurs, peeking in on the tragedy and the brokenness around us and going, oh my goodness, I can't believe that happened. As Jesus began to tell this story and the scenes of violence unfolded, I wonder if the religious leaders at first were doing the same thing. They were saying, man, I'm glad I'm not like those tenants. I'm glad I wouldn't do that kind of thing. I would never beat people and kill them in order to keep control, in order to have my own authority intact. I wonder if they were, were thinking that as they initially heard the story. Maybe. And if I'm honest, I do that same thing. I can't tell you how many times when I hear of a, another pastor, somebody like me, that has a moral failing of some sort and could just crashes and burns, I go, oh my goodness. I'm so glad that's not me. I would never do that. How could he get to that point? where he would do something like that. How many of us as Christians do this very thing when we read the Bible? We disassociate from it. We fail to remember that many of the people that were opposed to Jesus were just like us. They thought they were doing right. They knew scripture. They believed in God, yet they were still completely unwilling to submit to what God was doing right in front of them. They weren't ready to give up control and authority. 
And this is what we do when we believe that the sum total of our faith is right in this moment in this building. My faith happens on Sunday morning between 10.30 and noon. God gets that, but I got everything else. My marriage, my job, my finances, my relationship, what I do on the internet, like that's all up to me. I'll give God 90 minutes. I'm not going to give him everything in my life. I'll just give him a couple easy things, the things that he cares about. But guess what? God cares about everything. And if he is the king, if he makes that triumphal entry, he's not demanding an occasional allegiance. He's demanding, demanding full devotion. Put yourself in the shoes of the religious leaders for a second. Your whole life you've been helping to lead people in your community, officiate weddings and funerals, and teaching the scriptures. Scriptures that are meant to convey the heart of God and point toward the promised plan of God's redemption. But now, now that God's authority is being fulfilled right in front of you, you realize what's been true all along that you didn't know about. Your authority isn't the authority. Your authority isn't the authority. Man, when, when those brakes went out, I realized this heavy piece of machinery, I was not in control of it. I, was power, I could twist the steering wheel as much as I wanted, and it was not going to help. Our authority is not the authority the authority. Your influence and control, they are small time compared to what's happening right now. And this is what the, the religious leaders were coming to terms with. Right, what was happening right in front of them was greater than anything they'd ever experienced. So how would you respond if God was showing that kind of authority to you? If you were to see Jesus doing these things and preaching these things with absolute authority, how would you respond? Well, outside of the story, right? We're outside of the story. Of course, we would say we would respond with humility. Oh, I, I, I know I'm a pastor of a church, but, but Jesus, you do whatever you want to do. You take the pulpit. You teach the people. You lead the people. I'll, I'll step back. It's all about you. We would say that, right? We would respond with humility. We'd respond with repentance. Oh God, I have been in sin. I have not followed you like, like I know that I should be. I will do that. It's easy to say that, being outside of this story. But inside the story, it's more than likely that we would respond like the religious leaders did. We'd respond like this. The chief priests, the teachers of the law, the elders looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. What does that signify? They were losing control. Their authority was being diminished and they were willing to do whatever they could do to regain control, to, to stay in authority. The story Jesus was telling the people was about them. But here's the thing. It's also about us. Whenever God speaks to us and we reject his word, we are the farmers in the vineyard. Whenever God appears in our life to show us the promise of a, of a life that is only found in him and we reject him, 
We are the religious leaders. So we are in this story. So the question today, church family, is how do we respond? Remember, outside the story, we go, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll repent. I'll, I'll own up to my mistakes. I'll respond in humility. But inside the story, you and I are inside the story. How will you really respond today? Will you respond with repentance? One day when you realize that you don't have the control you thought you had, how will you respond? When your anxiety and fears are drowning you, how will you respond? When your best attempts at trying to manipulate the people and circumstances around you fall short, which they will, how will you respond? You may think you're in control, but there will be a day when you realize you are not. You may think you are the the authority in your life, but there will be a day when you meet the true authority. All of us want that, don't we? Why do we just celebrate the 4th of July? Not Freedom Day, but what do we call it? Independence Day. That's a bedrock value of our culture, to be independent. As I mentioned earlier, the the end goal of life in America is to live your final years with no authority but yourself and to be financially independent. We call this retirement. That's the end goal. That's what everything is moving us toward, to be in control, to be the final authority. But Jesus presents a different vision, a different way. His authority is not like an overly controlling parent. He's the creator God who breathed life into you. He literally thought you up. He's not an oppressive boss. He's a good shepherd who wants to lead you into places of peace and contentment. He's not a dictator trying to amass power. He already has it. (laughs) Trying to amass power for his own comfort and his own reputation. No, Jesus is a servant king who already has all the power, but he willingly laid it down so that you might know him and you might experience abundant life. In John 10.10, he says that he has come so that you can have life and have it to the full. So just like the tenants in the vineyard, one way or another, the authority in control that you think you have is going to come to an end. The vehicle of life that you've always been confident in will one day not work like you expected. So instead of holding on to it, why not place your faith in Jesus today? Why not give up control and authority to the one who made you and the one who loves you and the one that wants you to have full life? from now until eternity. If you want to have less anxiety and less fear, find Jesus. He will take those things from you and you can have the confidence that he has a plan, that your destiny is secure in him. Amen? So this morning, I just want to encourage you, whether you're a Christian that has segmented your faith from the rest of your life, or whether you're not a believer and you've been trying to do whatever you can in your life so far to to be the ultimate authority and have your ultimate control, I'd encourage each of us to make the decision today 
to just give up. Give up that control and say, Jesus, you are king. Would you pray with me to that end this morning? Jesus, you are a gracious God. You forgive us time after time after time after time. But we see clearly in this scripture that those who are in outright rebellion to you, outright rejection to you, that have taken the good things that you've given us and we've said, I am the one in charge. Ultimately, there will be a price to pay. Lord, this morning we ask that you would soften our hearts, that we would see ourselves truly in the story, and that we would respond with humility, with repentance. And we would say, Jesus, Jesus, I give my life to you. Not just 90 minutes on Sunday, but my life, my relationships, my finances, my control. Father, would you take control? And if you're ready to do that this morning, whether to renew that or to make that commitment for the first time, we would love to pray with you after the service. We'd love to walk with you. Obedience isn't easy, but it is good. So God, we thank you for your revelation to us this morning, speaking to us through the scriptures, timeless truth. May we respond with humility. In Jesus' name we pray. You've been listening to sermon audio from Sunset Community Church. Sunset Community Church is located in Renton, Washington. For more information, visit our website at sunsetcommunity.church.